So now we have officially entered into the Christmas season. And I already said it once, but I get to say it again. Merry Christmas, everybody. Now, I've actually found that when you are allowed to start saying Merry Christmas is a strangely controversial topic in our culture, as well as when it is acceptable to begin listening to Christmas music. People have very strong opinions and emotions about these things. Some people feel like you can wish people Merry Christmas uh, anytime after Halloween. Other people begin, uh, who are in the right, by the way, to say anytime after Thanksgiving is officially the Christmas holiday. And some of you are like, no, 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 you got to wait later in December. I know some of you still put your tree up on Christmas Eve, and I think you're crazy, but it's a tradition in many households. And some are like Tim, who's got his Christmas music playing on his farm 365 days a year, I'm not joking, year-round, listening to Christmas music, celebrating because... Uh, He loves Christmas that much. But I think no matter what camp you are in, it is safe today that we are really now officially in the Christmas season. And with the Christmas season, one of our traditions here is each and every year we have a Christmas uh, sermon series that we're going to work through. But before I jump into the sermon, I want to do a little quick Christmas survey with you all. So how many in this room right now have already finished your Christmas shopping? Anyone? Okay, hands up. How many of you have very strong feelings about the people whose hands are raised right now, right? Yep, that's me. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand on this one, but how many of you have re-gifted a Christmas present to somebody else? How many of you have ever re-gifted a Christmas present to somebody else in the same year that it was gifted to you? Let me tell you a story. I have a friend, this is a true story, who received a book from a family member and then on his way to his uh, another family Christmas realized he didn't have a gift, so he grabbed the book he had received, rewrapped it, and took it along. His sister happened to be the one that opened the present, and when she opened it, she read out loud the inscription (laughs) that included the date that the book had been given just four days before. Now, how many of you are a little nervous about Christmas because of the family uh, issues that may exist in your family? How many of you are reminded each and every Christmas and Thanksgiving that your family would make a really good candidate for a new reality television show? Let me ask you, how many of you will spend more money this year online for Christmas than you will in physical stores? Anyone? Yeah? How many of you did some shopping on Black Friday or Cyber Monday for other people and purchased some stuff for yourself as well? Now, the giving of gifts is a huge part of the Christmas season, and Christmas is a time where we talk a lot about gifts, and the series that we are going to begin today is called What a Name, and we are going to focus on some of the incredible, wonderful gifts that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. But before I jump into the message, I have one other thing that I want to talk to you about, and that is this right up here. Since 1988, when our church was first founded, one of the traditions that we have kept going through the Christmas season is the Advent wreath tradition. Now, some of you may be familiar with the Advent wreath. Others of you not maybe haven't seen it before, but the Advent wreath has five different candles on it, and they stand for the, the four weeks of the Advent season leading up to Christmas. So today, week one, you see um, that I have 
lit and or turned on the number one candle. The, the first candle is called the hope candle or the prophecy candle. Next week, we'll do week two, that's the peace or Bethlehem, then week three, the joy or the shepherd, and then week four is the love or the angel, and then the middle one is lit on Christmas Day or on Christmas Eve, celebrating the birth of Jesus. And part of our tradition is each week, we'll have somebody read a scripture, Um, a family will come and read the scripture, because I just want us to stay present in the moment. I don't want us to forget the Christ part of Christmas. I want us to remain uh, just in awe and wonder of what Jesus has done for us and what God has done by giving us this great gift. So today I've asked Jacob and Emma if they would come and read our first scripture, which is actually the scripture for today's sermon. So uh, I wanted to have them read it as part of the sermon. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Thank you, Jacob, for your deep baritone voice. So this reading from the prophet Isaiah, this actually comes seven centuries before the birth of Jesus. And one of the things that we need to understand about this text and this prophecy is that this prophecy was given by the prophet Isaiah into a really difficult, challenging, and troublesome situation. You see, at the time this prophecy was given, the nation of Israel was actually divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. It gets confusing because the northern kingdom is named Israel and the southern kingdom is named Judah. And there'd been a terrible, bloody civil war which had divided these kingdoms in two. And so now the year is 730 BC and the king of Judah, the southern kingdom, is a guy named Ahaz. Now Ahaz was not a godly king. And at this time, there's a huge problem. The Assyrian army is gathered on the border of the northern kingdom and looks like they're about to sweep through all of the promised land. And the uh, northern kingdom, this is how desperate it is. The northern kingdom Israel has asked the southern kingdom Judah, who they are divided by civil war, if they would consider an alliance to fight together against the Assyrians. And so now this letter has come and the king is trying to decide, should we form an alliance with the Syrians? Should we form an alliance with the northern kingdom? So God sends the prophet Isaiah to speak to him. And the prophet Isaiah comes and he tells him, I don't want you to worry about alliances because God himself is going to protect you. Now, in the midst of all of this prophecy that Isaiah shares, there's a lot of details that he gives them about their future. He tells them one day about the defeat, where they will be carried off themselves into exile. He tells them about their return from exile that will happen one day. He also includes two prophetic visions about a child that's going to be born, the Messiah that will one day come and lead them to their ultimate freedom. So we just read this one. And then there's also from chapter 7, verse 14, where he says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, just so you understand, one of the things when we read these Old Testament stories, there was a partial fulfillment of these prophecies that took place in Isaiah's day. If you read through the story, somewhere in chapter 8, they're referencing this baby that's been born, and that baby most likely is Ahaz's godly son that becomes King Hezekiah, okay? King Hezekiah, who later in the story is going to be a real heroic character. But it becomes apparent pretty early on that this prophecy is not about Hezekiah, because the names that we just read again in chapter 9 would not be appropriate merely for an earthly king or a natural person. You don't call them things like mighty God everlasting father that would be inappropriate for a human child. So there was a temporary fulfillment or partial fulfillment in Isaiah's day. In fact, the northern kingdom is overwhelmed by the Assyrian empire. The Assyrians carry off the northern kingdom into captivity, destroying it for it never to return. Okay, after it, it, we're known as Samaritans after this, everything is going to change drastically, but the southern kingdom is protected by God. Judah does not fall. In fact, they remain for 135 more years, continuing to be a kingdom before they're carried off into captivity themselves by the Babylonians. So this prophecy ultimately is not about Hezekiah, obviously, it's about Jesus. It's about the Messiah that would one day come, born of a virgin, that would become a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So you can ask this question then, how does giving a prophecy about a birth that's not going to take place for 700 years ultimately answer the question to the problem that Ahaz and the nation of Judah was facing with the Assyrian army on their doorstep. And so at the beginning of this message, I just want to look at a couple ways that this prophecy actually addressed their problem even deeper than what they understood. And so here's the first one. I'll give you this in the form of a life point. In sending Jesus, God was dealing with our problem at its root. He was dealing with our problem at its root. See, our problem as humanity and Judah's problem as well is much, much deeper than simply having an enemy army standing at our gates or maybe deeper than for your situation, a health issue or a relational conflict or an economic need. See, the root of all of our problems is and has always been mankind's separation from God. All of our earthly problems ultimately stem back to that one thing. Now, hear me clearly. I do not mean that every problem you are facing right now is somehow God punishing you for your sin. It's just that if, if God were to take away the problem without dealing with the root, you would still be in deep trouble. Let, let me explain that. If God were to heal the sickness but not change your heart, then one day you would die again. Does that make sense? So God needs to deal with the root deeper than just at the surface level. In one of his writings, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, who I love, he's the author of The Lord of the Rings, he was writing to his son, actually, letters during the, the Great War, and he referred to evil as if evil is like a shape 
shifter. He said it like this. He said, evil is like a shadow, and after you defeat it, it takes on another shape and then grows again. I'll give you an example. Think about all of the incredible technological advances that we've had over the past few years. We do things with our phones now that you could not have even dreamed of 20 years ago. Not even science fiction was able to predict and look at what we would be able to do with the devices that fit inside of our pockets. Now, technology with it has solved some of our problems, but what does it also done? It's created a bunch of new ones, hasn't it? In many ways, it makes us more secure. I can go anywhere in the world and check my bank account balance. I can go anywhere in the world and monitor my front door. I can look at the cameras at my house in real time and make sure everyone is safe. But with that safety has also come vulnerability. Now we're vulnerable to what? Cyber attacks and identity theft and unwanted monitoring. Technology can help us stay more connected to our family but it can also disconnect you from your family while sitting in the same room. So why, despite all of these improvements, has technology not solved our problems? Because, see, the source of darkness lies in our hearts. And better technology, or you fill in the blank here, better education, cannot change the human heart. All it can do is create a new shape for darkness to inhabit. Okay, so sin has to be dealt with at its root. You can't deal with sin at a surface level only. So God, in the midst of this call for help from King Ahaz in the moment, promises them not only the, the temporary solution of protection and safety, but he also promises the long-term solution that is coming. The long-term solution where he's going to deal with the problem at its root more than just simply the temporary problem. If you want to cry out to God for needs in your health and your body, is God interested in needs in your health and body? Yep, you passed the test. Yes, he's interested in your needs and health, but he's also not just only interested in the temporary need, he's interested in the long-term dealing with the, the root cause of sickness, death, forever. We cry out for delivery from injustice. Is God wanting to help us with injustice? Yes, but he wants to deliver us from the sin and the selfishness that is at the root of injustice. We cry out for victory in the moment in battle, and God promises a Messiah who will come and he will actually put death to death once and for all. So that's the first way that the promised Messiah addresses their problem. It addresses their problem at a deeper level than the, what they were even aware of their need for it to be addressed. But the second way, and what we're really going to focus on over the next four weeks, is in these names that are revealed about the Messiah, about Jesus here in this text, in this prophecy. Now, whether you are reading from whichever translation, this may look like four names or five names to you, okay? Because in some translations, it says, wonderful, comma, counselor, comma, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And in others, it says, wonderful counselor, mighty God. So regardless of if you think it's four names or five names, we're going to look at this name today, wonderful counselor, and we're going to break both parts of it down, both wonderful and 
Counselor. And that's what we're going to do with the remaining time I have today, is we're going to look at this name of Jesus, Wonderful Counselor, and how that helps us to address this problem that we face. So this name in Hebrew is the name Pele Yoetz. Pele Yoetz. Two different words, Pele Yoetz. So we're going to do it one at a time. We're going to start with the word Pele. Pele. Its word defined means beyond understanding, a wonder or something marvelous, a miracle of God. It's the word that they would use in Hebrew when something was too wonderful for words. Isaiah said that when he comes, the Messiah would be beyond our ability to describe him. He would be wonderful, glorious, magnificent, awesome, awesomer than all the words that we have to say awesome. I looked up wonderful in the dictionary. Dictionary says wonderful means marvelous, exceptional, distinguished, incredibly great. So I went to my thesaurus, and the thesaurus listed three different synonyms for the word wonderful. And I just thought, these are wonderful. These apply so well to Jesus. So here's the three points in this section about Pele. Number one, Jesus, his name is amazing. His name is amazing. That's the first synonym for this word wonderful. Matthew 7, 28 through 29 says it like this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. See, this is a recurring theme all throughout the gospel. People are amazed at Jesus, amazed at his words, amazed at his mannerism, amazed at his miracles, amazed at what he doesn't respond to and what he does respond to. There's just this atmosphere of amazement that surrounds Jesus. Here's the next synonym that I want to look at. Number two, his name is awesome. His name is awesome. Maybe you don't realize this, but Jesus' Hebrew name, Yeshua, that's the long version. Yeshua is the shortened version. But Yeshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. It includes the divine name Yahweh and also then the tag. And this is what it literally translates to mean. The Lord or the God who saves. And then that word saves is a rich word. It actually means the Lord or the God who saves or who helps or who heals. Jesus' name literally means God who saves, helps us, and heals us. Isn't that awesome? It's wonderful. Exodus 15, 11, speaking of this wonderful God, says, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory? working wonders. Psalm 111.9 says, He provided redemption for His people. He ordained His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. Our God is an awesome God. Here's the next synonym, and I love this one. Number three, His name is astonishing. That word astonishing, you could also replace it with overwhelming. His name is overwhelming. It's astonishing. Matthew 12, 23 says it like this. All the people were astonished and said, 
could this be the son of David? They're astonished. They're overwhelmed. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to think. They are amazed that Jesus is just so much more than what they ever expected. And they begin to say, could this be him? Everything about Jesus is wonderful. He is amazing. He is awesome. He is astonishing. That's the Pele. That's the, the wonderful part of his name. Now let's look together at the Yoetz. Yoetz, translated in your Bible most likely as the word counselor. It means the one who comes alongside of us to instruct us, advise us, or guide us. But here is the key that you understand this. It is from a position of authority and wisdom. So I don't want you to think counselor as somebody who just gives you some nice advice. Take it or leave it. See, this is somebody in Jesus who walks alongside of us through our worst problems and provides you the answer to the way out. Not only is there infinite wonder in his name, there's infinite wisdom and authority in his name. Now, this idea of wisdom is so important to us, friends, because as a counselor, he has wisdom to understand you, your life, your situation, and your circumstance that is so far and above our natural ability that there's really no words to compare these things. In fact, another prophecy from Isaiah, Isaiah 11:2, speaking of the Messiah, says this. It says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. Let me share two synonyms from the thesaurus about this uh, word counselor. Here's number one, that Jesus, he is our advisor. He counsels us. He advises us what's right and what's wrong. And when we need advice, he's always there ready to give us advice in real time, all the time. He is available to encourage us, to comfort us, and to guide us. Psalm 16.7 says like this, I will praise you, I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night. My heart instructs me. In our world today, Many people seek out astrologers, astronomers, physics, Google, AI. They're constantly looking for help, looking for counsel, looking for advice. So I've got some counsel for you today. Jesus Christ is the wonderful counselor. And if you need help, if you need direction, if you need advice, he is the wisest man alive. He is a perfect counselor who has all the right answers all the time. And what's more, friends, he gives free advice. No insurance, no copay, and no out-of-network issues with him. So why wouldn't we seek him first? for counsel, and for wisdom. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom. Now, before I go further, 
if I took a survey here, I think we'd all qualify. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If this is true, and it is, shouldn't we go to Jesus first and not last when we're in need of counsel? See, Scripture refers to Jesus as our wonderful counselor. And I just love that in addition, it says without finding fault. Jesus is not up there in heaven saying, oh, not Bruce again. I gave him advice about that last week. He didn't follow my advice last week. And now he's made a mess of his life. And so I'm not going to help him this time. It says without finding fault. Isn't that wonderful? Without finding fault. We have access to the wonderful counselor who's not just good at giving advice. He's the creator of the universe. Through Jesus, everything that exists, exists. He knows the beginning and the end. He understands the fullness of God's plan and God's purpose. He knows the ways of God because he is the way of God. He knows the truth of God because he is the truth. Of God. Jesus is not just good at giving advice. In Jesus, we have access to the living God who wants to give you help, who wants to give you counsel. And he's never confused. He's never mistaken. He always knows in your situation exactly what you should do, and he'll never lead you astray. He won't send you on a rabbit trail. He's not looking to punish you till you come to the right spot. He wants to help you. So when we need advice or counsel, friends, the first place we should run is to Jesus because he is a wonderful counselor who wants to advise you. Here's another synonym that I love. Not only is he good at counseling and advising, he's also our advocate. Not only do we need advisors, we also need advocates. Maybe another synonym for that, that's defender or supporter or lawyer. See, Jesus Christ is the world's best counselor bar none. And as children of God, we can always guarantee that we have the advocate on our side. And Jesus isn't just some court-appointed advocate who's unfamiliar with your case file and your circumstance. In fact, Hebrews 4.14 tells us like this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you fully. He knows you intimately. And with all of that knowledge, he still likes you. <clears throat> he still chooses you. He still loves you. He still wants to help you. He's still advocating on your behalf. 
1 John 2.1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That's pretty good news. He's advocating on our behalf right now. He's advocating for you. He knows you. He loves you. And he's really, really, really good at it. So, with my remaining time, I want to talk to you practically now. How do we actually access this counsel? Right? It's one thing to know he's a great counselor. How do we make an appointment? How do we actually sit down with the counselor? How do we get this counsel to happen in our life? So here's number one. Number one is through prayer. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says like this, Don't be anxious about anything. (laughs) We might need to read that a few times. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, look at this exchange, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. See, he's counseling us, he's encouraging us, he's advising us as we come to him in prayer. Now, once again, prayer is one of those things that is just so good, so amazing. It it actually is beyond our ability, our capacity to understand. Prayer is so wonderful because in the moment as you're praying, God is listening to your prayer and he's, he's moving on your behalf with the things you're asking him according to the will of God. But at the same time, another thing is happening. He's changing you and transforming you by the time you're spending with him in his presence. So not only is he working on the surface level, he's also working deep beneath the surface to bring transformation into your life so that you become more like him. Your thoughts, more like his thoughts. Your words, more like his words. Your heart, more like his heart. Your hands, more like his hands. Your feet. You see, this is what we desperately need, and he's providing that counsel as we spend time with him in prayer. If you have a relationship with anyone, whether it be a physical relationship, a natural relationship, or a spiritual one, the way you grow in that relationship together is time spent and communication, right? So it's the same way with God. So number one is through prayer. You need counsel, then pray. Spend time with the Lord. Spend time with the Lord in prayer. Number two, he provides us counsel through the Spirit, through his Spirit. When Jesus returned to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit in order to continue his work here on the earth. Remember, he said, I'm not going to leave you guys as orphans. I'm going to send you another. And John 14, 26 goes on to say, but the helper, now this is the amplified because I want really to unpack that word again. The helper, which is the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener, the standby, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in my place, to represent me and act on my behalf, will teach you all things and will help you remember everything that I have told you. 
So Jesus knows that we need a physically present advocate, comforter, counselor, helper. And so not only do we have him in heaven doing this work before the Father, but we have his spirit in us speaking into our spirit, speaking into our heart, speaking into our life, bringing his power to bear in our circumstances and situation. Friends, understand this. You have the best counselor in the world on permanent retainer living in you and through you. And that retainer was expensive. The Holy Spirit, as your counselor, was purchased with the blood of Jesus shed on the cross to cover, to, to deal with, to pay for our sin. So that now the Spirit lives in us. It's good news that the Spirit is here to comfort us, counsel us, advocate on us. So if you need counsel today, then remember that God has given you the gift of the Spirit to live in you and to work through you as you spend time in prayer, as you spend time with the Spirit. And number three, the way He counsels us is through His Word. Through His Word. Friends, I'm going to sidebar for a second and just tell you, if you notice a theme in my messages where I'm constantly coming back and trying to encourage us to return to the disciplines of prayer, trusting the Holy Spirit, following His Word, and I guess I'm going to reveal the next point here, and being part of His family. Friends, I'm going to tell you I'm doing it on purpose because I believe with all my heart that God is trying to call us deeper and deeper into this important practices, uh, these important disciplines, because they transform who we are and what we are and what we're doing, okay? So I know you've heard these points before, but I'm going to give them to you again probably next week, okay? So here's the next way. Number three is through His Word. Everything we need to know in this life, to live a godly life, to live a, a life uh, of wisdom, all of those things that we need are given to us in and through and by the Word of God. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says this, All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped, what is your say, for every good work, for every good work. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Oh, the joy of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves ne never wither, and they prosper in all they do. Number four, through his church, through his people, through his family. God uses the people of God, the family of God, the church, to counsel and to encourage us. Colossians 2, Paul writing, and he says this, uh, verse 2 through 3, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mysteries of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom 
and knowledge. See, God uses us. He uses pastors and counselors and other believers. He uses us, to uh, small group members, to encourage each other, to come alongside of each other, to speak the truth of God into each other's life. It is why you need to actively be involved in a church family. Don't church hop. Don't church shop. Find a church. Commit to that church. Give yourself to her. Get to know the people in it. Join a small group. Find a place to serve become engrafted inside the family of God because he wants to counsel you and he wants to help you and one of the ways he does that is through his people. Band, you can come back up. See, I just want to tell you that this Christmas season, friends, is often time in people's lives where you are facing a lot of difficulty. Where we watch the Hallmark movie and Christmas is a magical season for everybody. Some of you look at the pictures on your mantle or the things that are happening in life and, and it doesn't uh, relate. What you see and what you're experiencing are two very different things. And for many, this season can be stressful can be emotional, you, you can be dealing with a lot of hurt and past hurt, and you're looking for very real answers. And I want to tell you, friends, that there's a very real answer for you today, that Jesus Christ is a wonderful counselor, and that he is always available and ready to help you. Psalm 32.8 says it like this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. So are you in need today of a wonderful counselor? Do you have an issue that no matter how hard you've tried, you just can't solve? You have an issue that you've used all of the earthly wisdom that's available. You've gone, you, you've spoken with the professionals. You've had everybody advise you, but you still find yourself struggling. Struggling with guilt. Struggling with unsurety about your eternity. Struggling with your broken marriage. Struggling with a, a wandering child. Struggling with health issues. God has a desire to help you today. He's a wonderful counselor. He wants to break into your life and he wants to advise you, comfort you, and help you. And he's not just any run-of-the-mill counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. He's Pele Yoetz. And I just want to encourage you today as we close this service and worship the Lord. That maybe today you need to be reminded of just the kind of access you have and just who Jesus, who you have access to, is.